when you're making your DP debut, you really want to make sure you hit those PKs or the defense is going to let you live it down. It's That's So MLS <laughs> with myself, Nick Thornton. With me, as always, is Andrew Bates. Andrew, how are you doing? I am doing great. This is a North American soccer podcast, and I got to be in briefly in a North American soccer stadium in a safe environment, which I'm very uh, happy and joyful about. That's true. You uh, you made your travels, I believe, right after recording the last episode. You were on your way to Halifax to see the Canadian Premier League final. It's true I mean, that but... the island games were on the island, and I was not. Uh, I was somewhat east of the island in uh, in the, in in Halifax at the uh, watch party at Wanderer Grounds. So set the scene a little bit. What was the watch party like? We shared a couple of pictures on our. Uh... Instagram, but walk us through the experience. So they had uh, they had done one the previous weekend, and um, um, my understanding is that it's very similar. Uh, the one the previous weekend had about um, four hundred people to the venue in Halifax, which is Wanderer Grounds, which is essentially a um, like a converted up rugby field that has mm-hmm. um, that has. Sort of what you would recognize from other grounds is temporary stands, but they're mostly there all year. Um, and a we've we've discussed it before as like sort of the the main luxury box area has uh, is constructed of shipping containers. So what they what they do for these watch parties is it's very similar to what you may have seen in parks where they paint a circle for a bubble on the field. And they have everybody basically either at, like, they split everybody that wants to go into groups of eight. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you, when you're there, you're in your bubble. You're not really supposed to be outside your bubble for any reason. Um, and you have a little sort of prescribed area of the pitch that you can set up your uh, your launch area. So I first had to check it out and then... Um, go do something real quick before the game started. And, uh, and I came back with a, a Canadian tire chair because I looked at it and I'm like, am I going to sit on the grass of this, of, of, uh, of the actual field of play yeah. uh, for 90 minutes. So this is happening. Um, which I almost did, but it was really, really nice. Everyone who was in my pod, um, which was, the the pods that I were in were sort of organized by the privateer supporters group. Shout out to them; they were awesome, um, and I had a great time. It was uh, uh, it was really fun to talk um, with the people that I was with. I'm getting uh, I'm just looking up to be sure that I uh, get my the 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 pod captain um, who mm. has so much. So many interesting stories. Stu Adams, about, who, uh, who had so many interesting stories about the how things got started in Halifax. Um, so that was really fun. It was it was great to, you know, it's a watch party. The game is not there, but you get to react with everybody in unison. You get to sing the songs, you know. Yeah. Um, unfortunately. This uh, the final that uh, that that took place that capped the um, the island games. I want to say it's not too dissimilar from the 2019 final in that mm. um, 
you kind of thought that it was a two teams that might trade a little bit more had a had a a, a more tense go around, and then Hel- then Hamilton won. Yeah. <laughs> as as Forge FC won two nothing. Um the uh it was a game that was sort of um push and pull until the sixtieth minute when a uh um a cross from Moba Bully found Ashnaudi Janssen um at the far post. And then from that period it's kinda like I think that Halifax were trying to get into the game, but Forge was still like Forge had the most of the ball even at that point. And and later on, um Halifax is pushing when a truly um unfortunate goalkeeping error occurs from Christian Oxner who uh who takes a a, a shot is made by Maxime Tissot um from like forty yards out and it goes through Oxner's hands, hits the bar or sorry, hits the crossbar, or sorry, hits the goalpost behind him, bounces forward, and then hits the ground with backspin and bounces back into the goal. Yeah, I, f- I mean, I feel like that it's it's it is unfortunate and it's definitely a, a goalkeeping error, but it's also one of those things where the bounce make it makes it look a lot worse. Like, yeah, you know, he get it, it, it's not the best positioning or reaction, but the actual ball crossing the line bit is kind of like. Look, it's going to happen on artificial turf, and it's it is unfortunate. But to your point, it's kind of like uh, this game was kind of shut at that point. Um, so as painful as it was, it, it, it's not really the game-winning goal. Essentially, by that point, it's like what Forge did really well was I think that one of the things that made Halifax really dangerous this season was the combination of Joao Morelli. And Akeem Garcia, and mm. they were able to essentially shut Morelli down, and Morelli was off by that point. Um, there were other players on on Halifax that can threaten, but they, you know, they were able to um, they were able to correctly identify Halifax's strengths and uh, and uh, neutralize them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought that. Um, Halifax showed some fight and, and good character for, you know, a good 15-minute spell in the second half, and it was like, oh, maybe, but it just, it was never really there in the final third for them. It's like they'd get, they started to gain possession, were building out of the back okay, but it, there, I don't recall a single real, like, clear chance that looked like it could have been a goal. Things were, things were, of course, you know, the the energy was great heading into it, but <laughs> it's it's always funny that something like that second goal going in and then immediately everybody in the crowd launching into, you know, uh we love you Halifax chant. Um can can almost build your 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 bond with the team even though it is so um, even though the result is unfortunate. And nothing know, builds love for a team like watching them lose. And this is a team, but the other thing is is that this is a team that lost a lot more a lot worse last year. That's the that's yeah. the number one thing to to look for is that that in the season that this this the the compressed season this game was, um, Halifax went from last to the final. So it's like that there has been 
so much growth during the tournament, and everybody that I talked to there was just very proud of the uh, the progression that the Wanderers had made. Yeah, absolutely. They should they should be proud of themselves and Oxner as well. I mean, he had a fantastic tournament. One error in the final is going to be the things that the thing that people remember, but it it did not lose them the final, in my opinion. Um, Oxner and, kept it two two nothing, right? Like that's the oh yeah yeah. I mean, it's to say nothing of <laughs> the other forge opportunities. Um, it it just doesn't always come off. And as somebody learned in MLS this week, doesn't matter what level you've played at, sometimes it just doesn't come off. I think possibly I'm going to wager that this might be our new favorite MLS moment, if not ever, then certainly this year. We uh, discussed, we discussed <laughs> last week uh, that there was a high possibility <laughs> that uh, Gonzalo Iguain was going to be making his way um, from uh, Juventus to join his brother Federico in the uh, in the the bountiful shores of MLS, and everyone is ever there was so much focus on that for good reason. He's a great striker. There's a great piece on Defector. Um, welcome back to a good website um, about uh, uh, you know Iguain deserves more than to be remembered as a uh, as. For, for the, the games that he was not able to deliver in. However, <laughs> he definitely looked in his debut for Inter Miami as somebody that was trying to work hard to pro- produce that Zlatan Ibrahimovic, um, you know, highlight reel moment. He had that, that uh, the, the bicycle kick that the was... Near, the near bicycle kick goal in the, near the beginning, yeah. He wanted so bad to make something like that happen, and which is good. Like I, I don't, <laughs> I do, I do want to troll, but I also think it's important to to be like. I mean, is I think a overall pretty good debut, and you want that from your big signing, right? They they have to come in with the bit between their teeth, ready to do something, mm-hmm. um, and and certainly it wasn't for lack of trying. But the the penalty, which I'm sure most people have seen by now, if but if you go haven't, please go watch it. Um, and it, it's really kind of innocuous. Is it's a very simple error which strikers make all the time. Which as he's taking the penalty, he just leans back a bit too much and ends up just completely skying it over the bar. That's not the interesting or fun part, though. Let is me, it? Can I? Can I? Uh, can I potentially? Um overanalyze it too much i may oh please this, this may not Have you be been on this show before <laughs> <laughs> this may not be accurate this this is this may just be me seeing something that wasn't there like when i thought i saw diane matheson pointing but um the i think that iguain tries to make like almost like a cute sideways step you know what i mean like he cut he tries mm. to j his way in yeah 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 to it and i wonder if that contributed to him being uh leaning back to just being off balance because he was trying maybe this is just my narrative speaking but i feel like he did try to take a little extra fancy step there i mean it's it's very possible yeah i think um i think it 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 doesn't exactly smack of confidence it's a little bit like maybe use a bit of two minds and then ends up not doing either thing well um Mm -hmm. And and that that's certainly something that can happen. These, speaking of over analyzing things, I think sometimes penalty takers do that as well, where there's just too many options. 
Um, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, um, but what happens next is kind of really the, the fun news story, which is that the Philadelphia players immediately come off their line and kind of swarm him without touching him or getting quite too close. And you can't hear what's said, but it's clear they are trolling him hard. I imagine there, were, there, were, there were some variations of welcome to MLS, uh, etc. Um, and the best part is it completely works. It gets totally under his skin. He immediately gets in their faces. I mean, there's been a lot of talk about it, but I am so here for it. Um, it's just... It's so fun. Like, it's... <laughs> We are... I know that Iguain is probably going to score, you know, f- four out of the next five penalties that he takes. But I just, I love the trolling. And I think that's 100% within your right as an opposing team. You know, you don't have the, the deep pockets that the other club does. They come in, they spend all this money. He skies the PK. Absolutely get in his head. I am not just trying to, when, when we had this sort of schadenfreude to just... To, to cut the tall poppy and to, to, to wish a player like this failure. But there is an attitude among some that a player like Iguain should come and mop up everyone as opposed to being one of the one of the players that are on the on the, on the pitch for the team. You know what I mean? Uh, and, yeah, I and do. This, and... this is something that has been proven false in MLS time and time again. Well, and with Inter Miami specifically, and, and you know, we'll talk about um, you know some of their results. But this was for me kind of a classic Inter Miami performance, where you just have uh, all, a lot of the pieces there, but as a as a cohesive unit, it hasn't gelled. Um, you know, I really feel like one of their big um, deficits this year has just been the lack of. Um, pressure on attackers in their box. It's kind of like it, it's it's not Miami being out of position. It's not even them not communicating. It's just that when the opposing team is in their box, it, everybody is very very passive and still. And it's again they're in the they're taking up the right spot usually, but it's a failure to clear the ball. It's a, fa- a failure to might to mark tightly. Um, you know, Miami had lots of pressure. They did have chances in this game. They have fantastic attacking players. But, you know, it's this the second goal for Philadelphia. It's set up by Aronson. Um, and it's just like it's passed around like a ping pong ball in <laughs> Miami's box. And then Ilsenio just sort of calmly finishes it. And you're like, well, I, I mean, yes, the quick passing game is very hard to defend, but... It, it really just feels like Miami sits back and, and sort of defends as this eight-man block without really getting stuck in and putting pressure on uh, any player with the ball. And then, of course, Aronson seals it at the end, just walks... Well, he doesn't walk. He, he runs at speed, but he, he gets <laughs> through about four different Miami players to eventually just calmly slot it in. Um, past Robles and this to me has become just it's a it's a fantastic game from Philadelphia it's great game management it's another fantastic performance from Brendan Aronson but it, it's unfortunate that this has been become part of Miami's brand which is the attacking flair is there 
but they're just they're so incredibly soft um in in almost every other area it it's just a, a real lack of intensity to pass the ball with pace um to attack open spaces and to defend properly in, in their own box and they're punished yet again and things you know of course it's their first season in but expectations of expansion clubs have risen and you know they're second from the bottom they've only won 3 games um, and it, it, they've certainly <laughs> coughed up a, a good number of goals. I think that definitely is fair. Uh, I think that one of the things, one of the things that that surprises and, and confuses me sometimes about um, Miami is how much of the when you uh, when you see their highlight packages, how much you see of Ben Sweat in all of the highlight packages. Which is not to say that Ben Sweat isn't phenomenal, because he is. But he's not the... I don't think he's the money man over there. No, it's it's a bit of a, a, a weird one. I also don't think he's been all that good of late. I mean, he is a fan, he's a great player. But um, his performances have, have been a, a little bit off. And again, just simple things. Just failing to clear the box that, you know, somebody of, of his caliber really needs to be doing. I mean, this is probably the appropriate point to say a lot of games suffered from a lot of heavy legs. There there was a lot of, in since we last talked, there's been another huge glut of games, and mm-hmm. I, I haven't seen a team yet that's looked really strong in all of them. Everybody's been dealing with injuries, um, with travel, with tired legs, with just the continued insanity that is happening in the world. I, I mean, I'm amazed that enough players show up to put on the, to be put on the pitch but for Miami it's just been kind of game after game after game um you know they got they've got one result in the last few games but overall it it's just really kind of uninspiring stuff from them and also that's i think that's an important thing mentioned when you uh talk about um when you talk about Miami is in in the defensive performance in that game is that they did have um Andre Reyes come out in the 69th minute and they uh and Juan Aguadello came out as well but I know that's not as much of a defensive thing but yeah they had to they certainly had to um adapt their plans over the course of the over the course of the evening for sure and and still kind of came up with nothing I still feel like there's an overall kind of uh style and and just lack of um game plan that that's been hurting them um, but you know, Philadelphia just continues to do all the things right. Um, you know, and, and it's great that when you have a player like Brendan Aronson getting all the, the, um, the highlight reel stuff, but just as a team collectively, they've been, they've been great since three years ago. They, they've really got a strong side. I think Jim Curtin has instilled a great, um, defensive awareness in them but also you know when they're when they're going forward they look very very positive they look excited to be passing the ball to each other they're scoring goals by committee um and it's no surprise they're they're second in the east and um a lot of that is a, a very very strong defensive side they've been able to put up if we are witnessing the brendan aronson goodbye tour after the uh, 19-year-old American signed with RB Salzburg going to play with um, former Red Bulls manager Jesse Marsh. Um, 
it's going to be, a, this is sort of almost a statement with the, of a, a statement of intent that it will be an entertaining one. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, it, it really is exciting that we're finally in the era where, you know, we're talking about multiple young MLS players every year signing big contracts in Europe. I, I mean, it's, it's definitely still in the trickle <laughs> phases. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's very exciting to see, you know, when you think about the rumors around Chris Mueller and Richie Larea, like there's so much talent coming out of MLS now. Um, and specifically through the academy system as well, that um, it, it's pretty exciting to, to see what, what's going to come of it. Absolutely. Um, Inter-Miami, we're playing in white in that. I want to note that if Inter-Miami is going to be doing the black, and, the black and pink, the travel kits need more pink because I have no idea what I'm looking at when I see the all-white Inter-Miami away jerseys. Yeah, it r- reminds me of Atlanta. Like, it's it's just awful. It, it just looks like they've thrown on... It, like, the team brought the same jerseys, so they had to wear pennies. Especially when they're playing against a team like Philadelphia that has a uh, a black or navy home strip. Yeah, yeah. You it's... just think it's... You think the, you're, the first thing your eye does is, ah, oh, the team in black is Miami. Wait, it's not. What? Yeah. Yeah, I really don't understand the the skimping on creativity for people's away white kits. I'm not I'm not a fan. Well, it's you know, Adidas loves doing this white highlights, like having having the the justifications of a of a jersey like, you know, white highlight trim on white for some reason. Yeah, who who can say? But they are not the only team that plays in black to have struggles. No, they're really not. Where in the world are we going next? Let's go to Los Angeles, where uh, they have been, since we last spoke, have been having some some challenges against teams that are not Vancouver. (laughs) (laughs) Ouch. Um, you, uh, you, you want which is a common problem. We should say <laughs> one of the things that you thought sort of started this streak was the um, the game back on September eighteenth um, against Seattle. Yeah, I mean, as you said, there's been lots of games, and and this one is going back a little bit. But really, if I'm gonna be going back to like the beginning of the the capital B capital T bad times for um, for LAFC. Um, I, I really see it as kind of beginning with this game against Seattle. This this is a, a good rivalry that's been formed between the two teams, um, especially since last year's playoffs. And I just, there's no reason for LAFC to, to lose this game and to lose this badly. You really think that, you know, they're going to come out and it's going to be a good fight. And this looked like one of Seattle's easier victories this year. Um, and yes, LAFC has certainly struggled with, um, some injuries, but this is a team that also we, we've joked about several times for the number of attacking players that they've signed. Yes, and it's certainly like all of the names on the pitch are all still very recognizable MLS names. Like it's not like they're putting out a weak starting eleven. Um, you know, it looks like LAFC are going to go up early. Um, they get a goal, but it's ruled offside, and then Jakovic. Yakovic, sorry. Yakovic elbows a ball away. Can I make a note on that first offside goal? Just because I've I've seen it um, a couple of times. 
this is one where Rossi makes an amazing move, but there are not one but two players who are already pushing the line trying to, to, to go forward. I know that this is this is the attacking style that LA want to play, um, but I almost wonder if they're, it, this is a, such a strange thing to say, pressing too much? Like they're like that is a needless waste of a great maneuver from Rossi. Yeah. In my opinion. And I think that it happens a fair amount um with LAFC this season. I think I agree, and I think part of the reason is a lot of their play is set up around Carlos Vela, right? So people are used to having Carlos Vela sitting in that pocket between two center backs and I mean, let's face it, he's offside nine times out of ten as well. But that 10th time, he's always going to finish it, and usually does. Without him there, I, I do feel like the the constant forward press is catching them off guard. And, and other teams are certainly aware of it here. Seattle, um, I think it, it's not just out of sheer luck here, is they're holding um, a really high line, and they're doing a great job. The defenders are doing a great job of keeping that line um, to, to make it offside. But no, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think it does come from the, the pressing style of play. But you know, then... The gi- giveaway this just goofy penalty where you think a player of Yakovic's experience would know better than to like fully elbow, elbow and full arm the ball away out of the box for what is going to be one of the easier penalty calls this season. That's true. Now, is he is he facing forward? Yeah, he's facing forward when it kind of gets when it yeah. gets up in there. Yeah, I mean, can. I think it's it's also one of those things where it's like it's reflex. Like I think at some point after I think it's after Lodero scores, you almost seem like kind of smirking a little bit at himself. Like it's just you <laughs> it's a penalty all day long. You just can't do that. Um, Another thing that you can't do, it turns it, it it turns out, is to just sort of like have two players uh, sandwich another player while the ball is coming in. Yeah, and I mean this one, it's it's sort of between. It's hard to tell if it's Mark Anthony K or Latif Blessing uh, that brings the player down, but I think in the end, it's it's sort of both. My read is that it's blessing. It's it's blessing. Uh, with the side-by-side contact that makes him start to fall, and as he's starting to fall, K comes down on top of him. That's what I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think you're right. And I think it's also, like, uh, it's definitely a softer penalty, and I think people, like, there's not much contact there. It's Latif blessing. Like, how much body weight is he really throwing into that? The point is, he fouls the player. He's playing the player, not the ball. And that's the resulting PK, which Lodero, again, easily converts for now, 100% uh, penalty conversion rate in MLS. That's impressive. The thing it's that I want to mention ridiculous. <laughs> about about LAFC in that, um, and I think that this is something we've seen a little bit with some of their other defensive lapses, is a slight um, chaoticness in terms of who has the defensive responsibilities. Because yeah. blessing is in the blessing who is a right uh, a right back is in the right spot there. K is a left sided midfielder. Yeah. <laughs> so so I I I feel like sometimes when the assignments are being made or the when when players are are picking up people, um, that's a that's far afield for K to be. Yeah, one, well, and I think Blessing actually comes in because he he sees K getting beaten. So he's on the wrong side of the player, so he comes in, 
and the classic example of two wrongs don't make a right. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, LAFC goes on to to have a not very good time over the, the resulting games, and I feel like it was watching versions of this game over and over and over again, of course, minus the game against Vancouver. Um, <laughs> But I just feel like, you know, all across the pitch, their pockets get picked time and time again. It's the player with, uh, you know, they're, they're back to their goal, uh, or they're back to goal, and they're, they're just getting easily muscled off the ball, and it's getting taken away from them. I, I, you know, Mark anthony Kays continued to be a really bright spot for them, um, and it's not for lack of talent on the pitch. But in terms of the intensity that you expect from LAFC and the system that Bob Bradley has set up... Um, it's really not coming off. And I think one of the more worrying things for LAFC is that people are kind of, I think, rightly asking. It's like, well, you have all this depth, but it's, it, you have to be able to get performances out of something other than just your best starting 11. And that's what makes it a truly great MLS club. And, you know, we're seeing this with Atlanta. It's like you take one key piece out and then all of the wheels seem to start falling off. That's... You know, that's worrying, I think, um, at this point. Now, all of that being said, I'm not particularly worried that LAFC, um, you know, is going to be missing out on the playoffs anytime soon. That being said, they really need to pull things together to be serious contenders. I guess what you, if you're looking at, like, what makes it the bad times for LAFC, because there actually were only three games since then. That one, the resounding win against Vancouver. But I think what makes it, what you know um, plays did into they beat this? Vancouver? They did beat Vancouver. What plays into this idea is that that San Jose, who got rocked, we we discussed them their uh, loss to um to Seattle, got rocked again six one against Portland, and then um, everybody is wondering what is happening with Matias Almeida. Is he going to get like? Like LASC just blew the doors off of Vancouver, so so who's next? You know, as they're as they're going to do it, and then somehow uh, I again throw to my uh, to one of my favorite accounts, MLS images that uh, MLS, MLS images that precede unfortunate events uh, <laughs> that, that had the the uh, the LAFC uh, Twitter account tweeted at halftime when it was one nothing LASC. We want more. <laughs> and then the the just the no comment at all with the graphic of the two one full time result win for uh, San Jose. Yeah, and I mean, and before this game for San Jose, they get clocked by Colorado five nothing. So, you know, I I'm surprised Almeida's still even in the country. I thought he would have just <laughs> decided to <laughs> take his off season early, and yeah. It's it's the same issues for LAFC. I mean, they get the goal, they're looking okay, but they're just very weak in possession. They're very weak in terms of clearing their lines and playing out of the back, which is something that LAFC is known to be good for. And uh, it's our good old friend, Shea Salinas, who gets the <laughs> the winning goal for San Shea Jose. Salinas. Man, does he like scoring winning goals. I'm just glad he did it to somebody other than Vancouver, but uh, I mean, it's a great result for San Jose. I don't so, think it's going to matter in the slightest to their overall fortune. So it's Salinas so. who gets that first one, and again, LAFC have a goal here ruled out, ruled out by offside. Um, 
when they're all already up one nothing. But it's Salinas who gets the first one, and it's Jackson Ewell who scores the winner in sorry, 93rd yes, minute. Jackson Ewell. Yes, sorry, I got my you, wires crossed there. Can you imagine going from we want more because they think we could be we just we just went six nothing and we could be the next team to get uh, five or more um, from this game to find yourself not only being one one but to think. Ah, oh, this is going to be a really embarrassing one-one draw. <laughs> to to we just lost to San Jose, <laughs> and you know, like I I take no joy in trolling San Jose, but that is their third win of the season. That's not good. What is going to happen with what is going to happen with him? Because I I don't know what the metric of success is if. If you're saying this is a weird season, um, who knows what counts in terms of like the the competitive nature of any of any team in the league right now? Um, we're gonna let you have more time to do the project. It, that that must be when you have that many um, lopsided games. It feels like that must be it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's it's difficult because so many teams are in this position now of where they probably like to make a coaching change, but you know, there's no guarantee that they'll be able to get somebody in or get somebody in that they want with the market just being so strange and there being so much uncertainty. Um I I, I still really feel like I I get what he was trying to do with San Jose, but his his time has long since passed. What's amazing to me is I we've been asking this question. So I spent the since the last episode kind of looking through San Jose Earthquakes Twitterdom and trying to get a read from what fans are saying and looking at some of the articles and seeing what people are commenting on. And I know that's just internet hubbub, but you know you got to start somewhere. And there's still I'm amazed at how little is being heaped on um, Almeida and the the vitriol towards. Uh, Vega, which I feel like is is really unfair, um, their goalkeeper, and then the ownership, and, and sort of like the ownership is always the popular target here. But for me, San Jose's fundamental problem is uh, their defensive playing style, which is to say, it doesn't really exist. And they can <laughs> be very, they can be very exciting. But we've said this before: is you look at San Jose's lineup, and you don't think like, oh wow, there's an easily beatable side, like. They've Jackson Ewell's there, um, Tommy Thompson. I think Vig is great. Wondolowski. Um, it, it's Vaco. it's not for lack. Vaco, thank you. Um, it's not for lack of on-field talent. It's the system under which they're trying to play that is clearly not working for them. And the thing that worries me is that you know at some point you have to acknowledge it's not working. And I don't think this win is like a C. We just had to wait for, like, seven losses in a row getting absolutely brutalized for us to make the system work. Like, this wasn't the system working. This was them playing slightly differently um, and playing a little bit more of the zonal marking and and getting some success out of it. So for me, unless Almeida is prepared to switch his tactics and pursue something more traditional moving forward... Uh, San Jose is going to continue to be this team that is occasionally going to play spoilers and beat some teams 
and they're going to be at the bottom of the table playing spoilers to some teams. Let me suggest just two uh, two possibilities. Uh, if you're a, a if you're a San Jose fan that that knows why people um, are are easy on uh, the team in that way, let me know. Um, one is that. As, as strange as the, 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 the marking system is, um, the Quakes can be fun to watch. I mean, when they win, mm-hmm. but it's like, you know, I, it's one of those things where I wonder if there is an element of, you know, win or lose, we can be proud of how we, like, you know, we can be proud of trying to a certain extent. Like, like, like we didn't play like a defensive style that was like completely... Um, a bore to watch. I mean, not that getting, not that losing seven one six one five nothing is great to watch either. But like, like a feeling both of the that even in defeat you can be proud of how you played. And 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 two, they haven't really moved any of their key players. So I wonder if there's a certain amount of attachment to the the big names in terms of Wondolowski. Baco, Salinas, etc. Yeah, and I've I've seen some chatter of like they they've kind of maybe that loyalty is somewhat not misplaced, but they're they're counting on it a little bit too much, and they're not bringing up younger players through their system, um, and they're not really complementing the play of those other players. Like they're still kind of stuck in this like mls 1.0 mode where they've had some success mm-hmm. and it's like as years go by they have less and less success with it but they they're still really beholden to that and and it's tricky right because i i can see how that that can play a role as good as wandalowski is um his his style of play is is a little bit different and a little bit more direct than a lot of quote-unquote modern strikers now clearly he's still having success with it so it's not that but is it is it a case of too much of trying to build the team around a couple of players that being said Wondolowski spent plenty of time on the bench as well for San Jose so I I ultimately come back to you have to have a coaching staff that can get buy-in from the players and as we said last time the players either don't understand the system or aren't willing to to fully commit to it so um the the struggles continue, but with a nice notable win here for them. And if you have to, uh, um, if you have to wonder, you know, what's it like to in in the mood of a team? No, no, no fan base right now seems to be as conflicted as the Vancouver Whitecaps one. Who, what a what a strange couple of weeks the Whitecaps have had. Oh boy, has it ever been for them? We had uh, while I was in. Uh, Halifax, I got to be, sit in the Halifax sports bar and they put on the big, the giant TVs that looked like a theater, uh, the Montreal-Vancouver game, where uh, after completely out looking, making the Whitecaps look outclassed and getting uh, a player sent off, um, they have, I think it was Rudy Camacho, um, just socked Freddie Montero in the knee. And then the commentators, yeah. who are the TSN commentators, sit there for three minutes and say how they think that Freddie Montero has dived. Whereas, like, if I wanted to sever somebody's MCL with my fist, 
That's the that's the punch I would have used. And like to be sure, um, it, Montero is selling this one way more than he needs to because it's a closed fist punch. Had it been a closed fist punch on his big toe, it's still a red card for Camacho. However, the 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 issue here is not the reaction to getting punched in the knee. It's the fact that you're punching someone in the a in soccer the knee. striker. A soccer striker. That's that's the weak. That's the literal. That's like the Achilles heel of a soccer player. And it's and it's with clear intent. The best part is in the game. They're like, oh, it's Montero offering consolation after he fouls Camacho. It wasn't even Montero that fouled him. So Montero's coming up, and sure, maybe he's trying to wind him up a little bit, but he's offering a hand to help him up. And, you know, this has been a theme for Montreal. I don't want to deviate too much from the the Vancouver narrative here, but, you know, Montreal has four, I believe it's four reds in five games mm. and, and just a total lack of discipline. And every single time, it's a, it's a clear red, and it's just something completely boneheaded and avoidable like this, where it, it's just... It's so completely unacceptable and just like, what is it that you're trying to achieve here? It was only ever going to end one way. Um, and you, you have to be able to keep your head in a moment in which there's nothing happening. Like Camacho gets fouled and so That's he's, on the, it's behind he's on the, the deck. He's behind the play. There's nothing happening. There's nobody winding him up. There's no reason for it. Um, but just silliness. Then you have uh, so it's Christian Dahomey who uh, Montero gets the uh, sinks the penalty kick. Dahomey gets the second goal. Kyoto pulls it into two one, and Montero again scores to make it three one. Um, to sort of give Vancouver the re- the reverse and and stop something that I kind of have said, which is it feels that every little chunk of the season. Um, that we've had so far in terms of the the, the before times, the MLS's back tournament, the, the Canadian cycle, and now the first cycle of U.S. games. It's like the, the Whitecaps have one or two wins that then balance out a couple of really dire matches. Yeah. They also beat RSL 2-1 after Kyle Beckerman kicks Thomas Asal in the head, I think. Is that correct? Is that what yeah, he got correct. sent off for? I did. I think so. The Whitecaps took two more games after this to confirm that Thomas Asal had a concussion and a, I guess a fractured tibia. But mm. I think you can look as far back as that three-one Montreal game to no, sorry, the four-two Montreal game to see him get rocked by Rudy Camacho. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's it's really kind of. Um... What's concerning is that, you know, like should there may have maybe have been concussion protocol followed sooner um, than than the game where he he is taken out by Beckerman. Uh, regardless, it, it's left Vancouver in uh, well did leave Vancouver in a pretty dire goalkeeper situation um, with Brian Meredith coming in, and of course, unfortunately, his debut was against LAFC, and I think he was the only player that decided to oh my fly God. to that game. Oh my God. That was the six one, the six nothing game. San Jose had just set the record for most goals 
first quickest to um, quickest to five goals in the first half, uh, goals against in the first half, and Vancouver beat them by like thirty seconds. Anything San Jose can do, we can do better. <laughs> God, is this was comical. It, it, all you need to know about this game is that some version of tweets happened from any single person watching this game, which was like. I literally just got up for a second and another goal was scored. Literally as I was tweeting the third goal that had happened just after the second, the fourth goal happened. Like, you couldn't keep up with the goals. <laughs> and neither could Vancouver. Djokovic, two minutes. Bradley Wright-Phillips, five minutes. Wright-Phillips, 11 minutes. Veselinovic, own goal, uh, 14 minutes, which almost was uh, Bradley Ray Phillips' hat-trick. It's almost unfair to him to not uh, put it that way. So in in theory, Veselinovic did deny him the hat-trick. Diego Rossi, 33, and Andy Rose, own goal, 68. So two own goals and, mm. and just, a, just a shocking amount of goals before the 15-minute before the mark. Yeah, I mean... Really, not much needs to be said about this game beyond it completely unacceptable, terrible, um, and I. It's really hard to feel like it's possible to really find redemption after this one. I, I don't. You know, I I know it can happen. Um, I've been a Whitecaps fan long enough to have had experienced some some pretty epic blowouts mm-hmm. but but this was really next level and it felt for me what was so defeating about it was that the Whitecaps were so resigned to it I mean yeah. we talk about the lack of pressure from you know a team like Miami and this was just there was no pressure on the ball I think in that game I, I made a note that like I thought Nerwinski played okay that's it. That's that's my note in terms of Vancouver Whitecaps. The rest from top to bottom was garbage. And I mean their next game against Portland, you could say like okay, well, they only lost one nothing, so they they somewhat righted the ship. And it's true it was an okay game. Um it it still leaves me with all the same criticisms that I've had of that Vancouver Whitecaps under Mark DeSantos, and I don't really see any of those issues being fully addressed. And when they are, it's never for more than one game. The number from almost the number that bothers me the most about the 6 nothing LA game is not the 6 or the nothing, but zero shots on goal. Yeah. Like, like... Like they do, they bunker down because they really, you know, obviously they don't want to be further embarrassed and, and break that. We're 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 playing not to break the MLS record, and they do concede two more goals at that point. But it's just like they're this is it. The metaphor is you're in there against one of the top teams that themselves are not having a great time, and you aren't even really making an effort to compete. And you could say that on the pitch level in terms of this game, you could say this at the front office level, like like you could you could use that effort as a as a metaphor to talk 
about ML- about the white cap presence in MLS at the moment. Absolutely. And and that's to me the the like, yeah, the, exactly. The painful part is that we're a joke. There's not a team in MLS that's worried about playing us. It doesn't mean that we can't beat a team occasionally. But it, and and here's the thing is it's not even the players on the pitch. I, I feel like we have a, a fairly strong side, but the the individual performance and the collective performances have just been. It's like as soon as we step on the pitch, there's not anything telling me like, yeah, these guys look ready for it. They look like they're they're here to win. It it it's just it's incredibly passive to start, um, and and just. It's one of those things, you know, people talk about, okay, Vancouver has trouble in the final third and they're not finishing their chances, but you're you're making it so hard for yourself. Those those mistakes pile up when you're just getting sliced through like butter and you're conceding goals every 2 minutes. Uh, it it gets in the heads of the forwards as well. I, I mean, it's it's on everybody to try to right the ship. And I I feel like over the last 5 games, I've I've really failed to see more than two white caps show up at a time. I would agree and, with that. And as much as, you know, when I when I look at the the starting 11 for that game, I go I don't think any of these guys has had a terrible season. Certainly there's been shaky points, but I find it very hard to justify why any of them would be back next year. And I'm not saying Vancouver will or should clean house. Cuz we do but, it every year and it sucks. We do cuz we do it every year and it sucks and it hasn't solved anything. Um but I, I just, you know, the amount of effort that we've gone through in bringing in new projects, it, it's not good enough that there's all this hype around a player like Veselinovic and, a, you know, a relative unknown and we're bringing him in. He's going to be this great young center back and everybody's allowed an adjustment period, but he's been terrible. I mean, he he's had one or two good games and I, I can see where the raw talent is. Raw talent does not win you anything in MLS uh it's great but you can't just have raw talent as your center backs and Cornelius is very similar although he's more consistent and I do like him he's not a starting center back and I I know there's a lot of people pushing for it but we have not been better with him starting or if we have been it's been marginally we need two experienced center backs and I don't care what they cost <sighs> we are now. I think like I. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Other than that, things have been him, good for, for of him. But uh, Veselinovic, I think we have him on a deal where if we play him a certain amount of times, you have to keep him. So not that we can spare a central defender, but I wonder if we start seeing him drop off the the sheet. Well, and, <laughs> and and I believe he was benched against Portland, so it it may well be the case. And, um, and it's sad, you know, like it, it's hard to. I don't like talking ill about a player that I, I know he's a talented kid. I think he, he's a good player, but is he a starting center back in MLS? No. The, um, the thing about the, a couple weird things about the Portland game. Um, the, the first thing to talk about is that they have, have got the Whitecaps playing their home matches out of Providence park. This will be Makes less total sense. This will be less weird when it's not Portland, but it was very weird for it to be Portland. Uh, I think that, of course, and we've said it before, what you're saying with a booth like this is that it's not safe to travel into an area that is affected by COVID. But if you base your team out of a, a, 
in in a zone that has less stringent concerns about this, you are still going to try and do it. Um, yeah. The compared to Toronto, which we'll talk about in a bit, um, the attempt to make it Vancouver-y uh, seems to extend only to team sponsor style graphics. Mm. The mm. fact that um, fan banners were allowed or fan banners were in the hotel to me um, shows tells the entire story in terms of like were was Vancouver allowed to make this their home uh, no mm-hmm. it was weird the, they didn't even move the log they didn't even move the big log the big log is still there and it's supposed to be uh, I uh, mean I would have quibbled over we should also get a big block of wood when we score however <laughs> Let's face it. That's probably not going to happen too many times in our home games. So, so preemptive. So, so the second thing that was weird that was happening is again this hushed tone that took place around Thomas Hassell saying, "We don't know what's happening. It's very serious. And we we we've addressed the concussion thing. And the thing that always makes me concerned whenever Vancouver takes this tone is that we know what the Vancouver Whitecaps." Communication strategy is when they think they've done something wrong, they refuse to admit it until it's blindingly obvious and then bury it whenever possible. Yep. Uh, And this was a case of that. I feel like I don't know how you would have pressed them to it a little bit more, but the fact that they um, media were reporting three minutes before this game that Vancouver had made the trade for Evan Bush and they didn't have anything to present about it. You know, I, I mean, like, TSN was reporting it well, but it's like the fact that the Whitecaps didn't have anything to say about it was incredibly frustrating. Um, the 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 way in which Hassal's injury report was buried in the announcement of the signing of Evan Bush was very yeah. weird. And it's so unnecessary. Like, you know, for especially for these things, it's like, I mean, it's not that they're not big news items. It's just that, like, you don't need to be secretive about these things. Like, an injury to a player is not your fault. Unless you think you fucked up. True. True. That's me. Yeah. That's a speculation by me based on, based on, but I don't see, the only reason I see to have, have, have taken this is if, the team thought they did something wrong or were trying to avoid blame for it. No, it's, it's, it's a good point. And, and I mean, I've talked about the, my, my problems with their coaching staff and uh, I mean, who knows how deep it goes. The, the thing is like, why let people speculate, you know, like just clear the air and give people information so they don't have to make these wild speculations. Cause we don't know that, that's what happened but it certainly raises suspicion when it's like well if it was a concussion you know that during the game pulling the player off so if the player is not starting in the next game you can just say that same thing even if there's a new diagnosis even if there's more to it it's like just be honest about it it's like everybody kind of knew and figured that was the case anyway ah boy it just it never ends so the Whitecaps get Evan Bush, uh, who has been an ever-present for Montreal, has, uh, um, has been there ever since the NASL season bef- uh, in the second division before they made the jump. Um, 
kind of ascended to a starting role in 2014, uh, but was pushed out of the, the, the team last year by Clement Diop and uh, has not, Diop and has not uh, featured this year. I think a lot of people kind of wish that he had had something better as a goodbye from the impact than this. Um, but uh, Yeah, it was a really harsh like the the obligatory graphic of thank you so much but other than that basically just like uh even in their thing they're like we wish him well after you know his lot his commitment to the team for nine years appearance and it's leader. just sort of just go- and then it's like that's it it's like thank you for your contributions over the last nine years now get out yeah um thank you for being our club for the last decade if you could kindly leave it's weird to see somebody that's so emblematic of the team. Uh, I think that he um, has proved his worth as an MLS starter. I think that people were rightly critical of him last year. I think that it was the right time to replace him last year, and I think that he'll do the job for us. Uh, he, Maxime Cropo was his backup two years uh, two years ago, um, and now he will have to back up Maxime. In my opinion, there's no he's. Propo has won that job completely. So when he re- returns, if he returns this year, I think that he should have the the gloves. But Cropo well, is nothing but excited about this. Yeah, and, and just to make it a little bit uh, spicier, just as we were recording, I just happened to see um, J.J. Adams tweet out his latest story for the province, and he t- spoke to Axel Schuster, who's saying they've spoken to Hassal, Bush, and Cropo. And all of them know not all three of them will be here next year. Interesting. I wonder what the deal Bush is on then. Yeah, I'm kind of curious about that as well. Um, perhaps we'll get some more details there. I mean, it's it's a great acquisition. Certainly, it's one I wish we didn't have to make right now. Um, h- however, uh, and I get Mark Dos Santos's reasoning here that you know, okay, we we can't really. He, his expression was, "We can't play with fire," which I mean, like. If you're unsure about your goalkeeper depth, it's really hard to feel confident moving forward. Actually, they're it's in the st- Eastern Conference right now. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you can't do that to me in 2020. I just I was like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You can't you can't gamble on uh, goalkeeper depth. No, and and it's yeah, it's Isaac Bamer, the 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 nineteen year old from Okanagan Falls, British Columbia. Shout out yeah, to why you. the hell not? I like I say, we just keep going down the depth chart until we have like a fourteen year old from the under seventeen team playing. <laughs> um, I mean, and the the worst part, like Meredith, just got totally thrown under the bus in his first game. I think uh, he had a good game against Portland. I think he's a fine goalkeeper, um, and I I imagine he'll be a little bit sore to to you know finally have his shot and and then be back down as the the backup goalkeeper but i really don't think this is going to solve much for vancouver i i mean it is a necessary move and i'm totally fine with it i'm very happy to have evan bush here in vancouver and i don't think it's going to make one ounce of difference to our fortunes this season with the relationship between mds and montreal i wonder if we see bush back in impact colors once we have no longer use for him yeah, I mean, it's entirely possible, but given the way that he left, I'm not sure he, he's going to be super happy. I do know, apparently, he's not on full salary um, for us, which makes sense given the number of games left. But 
Two trivia notes. Two trivia notes. One, there has been in uh, keep taking into account the MLS teams and then also the um, the Vancouver second division franchise and the Montreal second division franchise that immediately preceded them. There have been five goalkeepers to dress for both the Impact and the Whitecaps. Uh, huh. Can you guess who they are? Oh. Uh... Wait, okay, so it's five that have played for both, right? Yeah, when when Bush makes his uh when Bush makes his uh debut first, uh, a debut or appearance in the event, you will be the, the fifth goalkeeper to dress. Who are the okay. other four? Okay. Uh well Cripo. Yep. Um not Oh, um Oh, I can't remember his name. He ended up with New England. He was with Vancouver for a while. He was our backup goalkeeper to Cannon, but I don't. He didn't play for my. I have no idea. Uh, the other three are Jonathan Sirola, who was on our bench for one game during the MLS's back tournament. Who, who okay, uh, oh. who famously <laughs> right? Oh, oh, for oh. Both. of course. Crepo uh, yeah. is another one. Um, Surgeon Jakanovic, who is. The UBC soccer men's coach uh, appeared for both, and Pat Onstad was oh. uh, was a second division Montreal Impact player, and also way back a Vancouver eighty sixer. Hmm. All right. The other um, the other trivia note is that uh, it was indeed, as the club noted, Mark Dos Santos who signed uh, Evan Bush to Montreal in twenty eleven. In March, uh, what the press release did not mention is that Dos Santos uh, left the team three months later, uh, resigning after a poor string, a string of games in the NASL season that preceded their jump to MLS. Well, I mean that's not great. <laughs> a press release for your goalkeeper, but but uh, you might remember him from that time. <laughs> but it's an, but it's an interesting second part of the story. That uh, do you think? And I'm not trying to be down do you think dos santos will make it three months this time mm. anything's possible um i yeah I, I i seriously wonder i mean here's the thing if the vancouver whitecaps don't make the playoffs mds is out regardless of whatever you think about him i think that that's a, a metric that's probably been set i mean he's had He's had two years. He's had two chances to remodel the team. He's had basically unlimited money to do what he wants. I mean, unlimited Whitecaps money. Mm-hmm. But, uh, like, as much as the the pressure's mounting on the, the front office, and I, I get it, and the ownership is, where's the evidence that Dos Santos has asked for money for a player and not received it? Like, it, it this is his team through and through and through. So, we'll see. Um... um you know, as there's a, there was a, a ton of games, and obviously we can't go through everything, but one game I really, really want to highlight here, um, which I was probably shouldn't have been surprised by, but Toronto taking on Columbus. Now, Columbus has given up very few goals this season. Yeah. Um, and, and Toronto just, like, actually doesn't start this game particularly well because Chris Mavinga gives up uh, an own goal. <laughs> early on 
and which is really unfortunate. We've talked about Mavinga. I think everybody's talked about Chris Mavinga as like when he's good, he's one of the best defenders in MLS. But when he's bad, there's usually an own goal or a red card. Which happened in this game because he had a goal on clearance. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> is Yeah, he is in goal and saves one and then decides to uh, to level things out and gives Columbus the early lead. Uh, but then, you know, Altidore hits back. It's a great ball in from Larea, and as much talk as there has been about Richie Larea, which is 100% deserved, he's such an incredible player, this is Toronto at their very best, and, and playing so well as a unit, um, the intensity of their passing, just the relentless pressure in the box. I think Columbus seemed a little bit off, and, and I really don't feel like they fully respected their opponent. And I think even Caleb Porter has said that. You know, he he wasn't pleased with the performance. Zellerayan, who's been great for them all season, I thought had a really off game. Um, Zardes looked okay, but across the pitch, it, it wasn't great for Columbus. But, you know, Toronto really, really, really looked like a, a side that is, is ready for the playoffs and is ready to make some serious... Um, mincemeat of teams they face. You know, Pozuelo adds on to get the second one with an assist from Larea, and then Larea threads his own needle and just dribbles through Columbus defense, does them real dirty, and gets a goal from what seems like an impossible angle, beating about four Columbus players. That one was three great. one for three one for Toronto. This for me is one of the games that I, I look to, and I I think that you know when we're talking about the the MLS Cup final we're going to be talking about Toronto again um and and we'll probably look back to this game as a as a real turning point for them very spicy prediction um the uh they should play if if they can bubble the MLS in Canada they should just do Edmonton and Toronto again um maybe yeah. not Edmonton <laughs> Vancouver you can have you can have teams play inside of Vancouver um, just just scheduled MLS's cup fi- uh, MLS uh, Cup final for Toronto now and get it over with. I'm just joking. Um, the... we could send the the invites out to Seattle. It's fine. Just... <laughs> the uh, I'm I am joking about that, of course. I loved it. The, the two first goals, the Larea goal looked great. I loved, and, and you're talking about sort of the intensity and just the. One thing that I really enjoyed was um, that the first goal is Pozuelo playing back to Altador, who cannons at home. Um, yeah. The second goal is Lorea serving up Pozuelo essentially at that exact same position. They like this is this is an offense that um, that knows its plays and can rotate people in and out of mm-hmm. the parts of those plays. Absolutely, and this is where you look at a team that really starts to get kind of scary because. Greg Vanny, as, as you point out, like he's put this system into all of his players so he can swap out pieces. Because we've, we've seen Nick DeLeon in, you know, where Altidore is doing the exact same thing. It's the same plays. You know, Pozuelo very unselfishly. This That Altidore goal looks like Pozuelo is about to turn and take it. He sees Altidore, uh, you know, who's getting closed down, but he decides to give it to him. And, and Altidore makes no mistake. As much as I really hate to like Toronto there's very little to not like about them right now unless you're playing against them they're just top to bottom really really good yes there's some defensive mistakes there but I mean what team in MLS 
doesn't have those, especially right now. Um, it, it's just roll on Toronto. Toronto has 10 points from 12. Uh, their last losses are on the 1st and 5th against Montreal and Vancouver, which I think in terms of their comparison is, is just like when you uh, when you lose the one round to your sibling in Street Fighter uh, that you beat 40 other rounds <laughs> yeah. of. Yeah, exactly. You're like, oh man, what happened? Sorry, I looked I looked away for a minute. What, what's going on? And also the 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 thing, you know, if you're looking for hap- if you're looking for any joy here, Toronto is an example of a team that has taken their uh their stay at this where I had the I had the location, this stadium in East Hartford where they're playing and made it their own not only because they are able to put their banners up at the Pratt Rensselaer Field at the Pratt Whitney Stadium. East Hartford. Um, everybody is talking about the fact that they are playing in Hartford, Connecticut, the site of the former NHL team, Hartford Whalers. And who, Woo! what do they have when they score? They play Brass Bonanza, which is the uh, the well-loved, iconic scoring theme, which causes simultaneously joy in the people. It, like, it's such a joyful song, but also... Like I have seen equally um, equal numbers of people. I'm like, man, I miss the Whalers. That sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's such a brilliant, just like cute little thing. I, I love things like that. A little bit of crossover, a little bit of a tip of the hat to the to the place you're staying. Um, R.I.P. Hartford uh, Whalers. But and the, and the song bops. When it bops, <laughs> it bops. <laughs> a bop is a bop. Oh my goodness. Well, there was a crap ton of other games, but we're not going to talk about all of them because there's we would be here forever. Um, a, a question, just kind of as as we wrap up here, um, for you, I'm I'm curious what you think about as, as we're kind of headed into the final stretch. I mean, we we've obviously seen some leaders emerge from the pack, but results are all over the place. What is a team from each conference that you think is still going to surprise people and, and give people uh, give other teams a real good run for their money? I want to make clear that they, MLS has also announced the rest of their matches through to the end of the year and, and, and tried to put out the playoff format. While we're looking at that, at, at sort of the crapshoot of the schedule, the the density of fixtures and also like the the competitive balance of who plays who in each little cluster of games is yeah. bogus is bogus it just creates a situation where you can't how do you how do you judge one of these against the other um yeah. i and that's the first thing i want to say can you please repeat your question <laughs> i heard you let me you, get my caveat out of the way your preamble before I... your preamble mentioned the schedule and that just yeah, sorry. that 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 uh that got my my gears grinding. Well, as usual, my question also has like nine parts to it and wanders. So a team I'd, from I'd each love conference. To, a team from each conference that you think still is going to surprise people. So whether that's a, a team that's been performing well but you think is going to go the distance, or a team that hasn't been so good that you think is going to has has been looking better, or you know, just who who to you maybe seems out but is actually in. Um. I mean, it's a little strange to say of a team that's in uh, uh, for the East. It may be strange to say of a team that's in fourth, um, but I think that we have forgotten about Orlando a little bit. Sure. Or, or, yeah. or I don't know if we is the right way to put it, but um, they've still had a great run of form. They haven't um, 
they haven't lost since uh, the game against Inter Miami um, on August 22nd. Uh, I think that the buzz, I don't know where they're at buzz-wise compared to where they were during the MLS's back tournament, but I still think that everything that was working for them there is um, is still firing on all cylinders. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, not no, it it's not New York because New York just had Ebera for the season. Yeah. Uh in the West, I think that that team um is So, what's the what's the playoff cutoff right now? 8 9 8 8 Um Let's be bold. Let's let's be bold and uh, and say that um, this may be LA LA yeah, to I make knew... the playoffs and LA Galaxy to make the playoffs and cause problems. Could happen. Stranger things have happened. I I, I believe it. Um, Chicharito has know... been they they've lost the last three and Chicharito has been having a rough go of it, but eventually he's going to figure it out. Yeah, yeah. Or he'll get injured again. And they'll start doing well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think West for me is RSL. You know, they, they're still a little bit dicey and chaotic as always, but I, I still think they've improved over last year and and show some some interesting um, fight and grit and a little bit more midfield solidity than we've seen from them. Um. And in the East, I know they've just made it above the, the playoff line here, but I, I really think about just from the more and more I watch them, I think Chicago is has put together a fairly decent team and and could be doing something interesting. Oh, no. How did we make it this far only to lose the connection now? I'm only just now hearing you. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. From from where you said, and then in the east. Oh no! Well, you already what... you already said it, so you could just tell me what you said, and then yeah, <laughs> you don't have to you don't have to re say it for the recording if you don't want to. But uh, I you you know what you said. I didn't. I wasn't listening to what I said. Uh, in the East, for me, it's Chicago. I know they, they just squeaked across the playoff line in their last match. Um, but it, just the way that they've been playing has looked more and more promising. And they, they just show a little bit more character for me than the teams below them. Chicago has, has something to prove, and I think they're out to prove it and, and doing an okay job of it. Are they the most exciting team to watch? Absolutely not. But I think they might squeak in there and... You know, a, a dangerous team in the playoffs is always the one that people have written off or, or just made it in. And certainly Chicago has a bit of a reputation as being an easy opponent. I think if they can stay in the playoff contention, they can actually use, really use that to their advantage. I definitely agree. Other pieces of news uh, that I had that we might not have gotten. Uh, Marcelino Moreno has signed for Atlanta from Argentina's Lanús, which I mm-hmm. uh, learned about from this news item. Um the, they needed their DP 
um, to replace uh, Pity Martinez, and they got it. Uh, Kai Kamara to Minnesota, one of our uh, our favorite MLS strikers. Yeah, this one kind of surprised me, um, and it seemed to surprise Colorado fans as well. Um, they didn't seem too happy about it. I said Colorado has fared pretty okay. Um, and they're next to each other of, in the table. The, yeah, well, and that's the interesting thing is you really, like these teams are going to face each other and <laughs> could could um, could be something that Colorado really comes to regret. But um, a strange move. I get it from Minnesota's perspective. I think that the one thing that they've been missing this season is just a little bit more um, finishing quality, and Kai Kamara gives them that at a, a, a good price. It's still a bit of a head scratcher to me. Um, I, th- I thought that he certainly earned his spot with Colorado last season and had a good season with them this year, but I don't know if he was just deemed surplus to requirements. Um, he seemed to be fitting in well with the team, but now he's in Minnesota. He he deserves uh, better than he gets from MLS because he's had such a great connection to the league. As uh, my pal Prairie uh, Hoover underscore Dam on Twitter is fond of noting, are you really a fan uh, of an MLS team until Kai Kamara has scored a game winner for and against your club? <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, the, it's about the size of it. The uh, the other one was uh, the, the note that we had um, the rapid sporting Kansas City game was called off, I, I think close yeah. to the, the day of it. Um, due to positive tests, initially it was um, four positive tests on Colorado's side that grew to 11 positive tests. Yeah. Uh, so my hope, uh, my best hope for them that they th- that resolves in a healthy way and, and it underlines again the challenges of continuing to try and deliver home market games. Nobody should be put in that position. No, and it, and again, it's it's all it takes is one person. Still a very contagious virus. I don't know why people think that that changes, even if cases are going down. Um, all it takes is is one person to be a little bit lax on on protocols. I'm not blaming anybody. Um, I cer- we certainly obviously wish everybody well and hope every, everybody's fine. Um, and with there being just so much COVID in the United States, things like this will happen. But it really does underscore. This is not something we need to be doing, and uh, I just really hope it, none of this all results in, in somebody getting seriously ill or worse. Let me clarify. I think that it was yesterday that it, the, the game was announced postponed, and it was scheduled for... Or, it, wait, no. No, it was on the 20, it was the 27th that the game was scheduled for that was postponed. Right. Uh, and it was rescheduled, I think, to October 21st, so... That was a weird time. <laughs> it's just a, it's a weird time. I mean, it, it, it's also very weird. I mean, I have very mixed feelings about it. It feels weird to be watching and enjoying soccer. So with all that we've said, I think I also want to underscore I'm, I'm very um, gr- grateful. I, I recognize the sacrifice that's being made by a lot of people to make this happen. I still don't think it's essential that it happens, but... Um, I, some part of me does get it, and also certainly we reap the benefits from it. So I, I want to be clear that in our criticisms, it's it's of the the league deciding that this is a thing that needs to happen and putting people's safety at risk. Um, however, it, it certainly 
boy, is it a little bit easier to get through things when you can watch some footy and have something completely mindless to talk about, like Rudy Camacho punching Montero in the knee. Well, um, until we talk next, uh, where can we find you online? You can find me online at That's So MLS on Twitter and Instagram. And you can find this podcast at thatsomls.com and on Apple Podcasts, wherever you find and procure your podcasts. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Rate, review? Like, yeah. review, and subscribe? I don't know. And where can we find you? You can find me on Alex Morgan at Spurs Watch. Uh, you, uh, waiting to see when that uh, debut is going to take place. And on Twitter, at Team Bates, www.team-bates.com. Beautiful. And until next week, don't get four players sent off in five games, or five and four games. Shh.